This is the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast, and I am Mike Riccio, longtime personal trainer, professional strength coach, gym owner, and most importantly, a devoted modern father and husband. I've been fortunate to learn under some of the most intelligent minds in health and fitness over the past 15 years, as well as work with amazing clients and athletes. What I've most fallen in love with over the years is the power we have over our lives, the power to decrease risk of disease and injury, the power to reach our true potential, the deep abilities the body is capable of when all aspects of health are working simultaneously. On this podcast, you will learn the importance of preventative health and how to optimize your habits to optimize your life. Today, you're hearing from Katie Hoff and Todd Anderson, athletic power couple and two of the most intelligent people I've had the chance to work with. Katie is a three-time Olympic medalist in the sport of swimming, and Todd played football at Michigan State, as well as a short stint with the St. Louis Rams. Both are going to discuss their experience in professional sports, how they met, and how their views on their daily habits, working out, exercise, and health have changed and altered throughout the years. This is not an episode you're going to want to miss. We had a lot of fun. We had a lot of laughs, and I know you're going to enjoy every second of it. Listen in. Don't forget to please rate, review, and share. All right, Katie and Todd, thank you for being on today. What's up, man? Yeah, thanks for having us. We're excited. Yeah, me too. I've been looking forward to this all week. So I thought we would dive right in. I wanted to, I've, like I told you guys in the pre-recording, I've learned more about you since the past week than I guess I knew from working with both of you. <laughs> You're both high-level athletes. I want to know what it was like for you guys as youth. So as kids going into sports, obviously, Katie, you qualified for the Olympics at 15. Is that right? Yes. And please correct any of my fact-finding here. Yeah, that is correct. So yours even more different, I guess. But you know, what was it like in the mindset going from high school to college and then you know playing some level of pro sports? What was it like for you guys to be athletes? Yeah, I guess we probably had like completely separate, like completely opposite experiences. You know, I would say like so my my parents are both teachers. My dad was a coach, coached football, wrestling, and coached my baseball teams. But like I played literally every sport. So you know, like I think with like skill sports, ball sports is like really important. You know. You, the more variation you can get, the better you're probably going to be. So, I mean, I played football, basketball, I wrestled, golf, ice hockey, like everything you can imagine. So I was super busy. Why are you so coordinated in everything now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like an abstract sport like to pick up. I'm usually like pretty good at that. But I ran track, threw shot put, yeah, all, all, everything I could do. But, um, yeah, I think that like that set me up. But the other thing was like I wasn't that great, you know, coming up through – middle school and even like until the end of high school. So like, I always had like a little bit of a chip on my shoulder, but at the same time, I think confidence was a tough battle for me even throughout, like even till the end. So yeah, just all over the place. And I, I always felt like I had to like make up for things with hard work because I wasn't as talented or in as good a shape or as strong as some of the guys I was always around. And that kind of pushed me. Yeah. I think mine was, kind of the opposite of, you know, I, I actually didn't have the transition of, I may mean, have the schoolwork of going, you know, to college, but I went professional at 16 right after, you know, the Olympics in 2004. And, you know, my transition I think was, or had to be a very quick one just because I think I was thrust into just a, an adult world and adult expectations from, you know, I didn't do well in 2004. And so the media was, and everyone had all these expectations and then I turned professional. So then I was, you know, working with, with companies where I was expected to do press conferences and speak about products and do photo shoots. And meanwhile, I'm just trying to get my driver's license. 
It's actually so funny when we, when like, I'll just like randomly say stuff or talk about it. And he's like, yeah, can we just back? What did you just say? Can we just realize how not normal that was? Yeah. And, and for me, it was like, this is just my life. And I never really looked at it as just like, this is just what I'm supposed to do. Um, yeah, and like the media scrutinizing you nationally is F15 is not the normal. Yeah. Just, no. Just, just a heads up right now. <laughs> so I feel like, yeah, I definitely, you know, but in other ways, I think it, it, it forced me to not, I guess, have that, like I, that identity got so inter- intertwined and intertangled with swimming and my performance. And so I'm actually sometimes envious of him because I feel like he, while it was very much attached, you know, he was this underdog and then rose from being, you know, this walk on to the NFL. And it was like this come up and he ended his career in the NFL. And it was just like, I think um, very cool to see his side of things of of really ending on this awesome high, whereas mine was like this roller coaster high and low and high and low. Um, so yeah, yeah. I feel like I always like I really maximized the. I got the most out of my athletic ability. Like when I was done playing, you know, I I exceeded my expectations, overachieved. I think for what most people have thought. So like it was a it's a much easier chapter to close. Whereas Katie, you know. When you're the best swimmer in the world, like there's a lot of ups and downs with that. It's not like um, just this linear thing and then it, boom, you end on top and then everything is, is rainbows and butterflies. I think, you know, it's a lot different story. So Todd, where is that transition point for you then? So you're, you're an underdog going into, I mean, you still, still win a Michigan I will do another podcast in a year. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, I, you end up, I mean, you went to Michigan state, so it's not like you, you know, I played D three program, you know, that's, that was kind of small potatoes. So obviously you were good enough to get to a Michigan state, but where is the transition point where all of a sudden you're like, Oh man, I can get into a draft and I can play in some preseason games. Like, was there a season breakout that happened? Yeah. I mean, it was honestly not till I'm even, you know, you get so like dialed in, you know, you know, with football, especially, I think it's like, okay, when's my next week off or when's my next uh, training cycle start, when's fall camp, spring ball, whatever. So like, you don't really look ahead and think about that stuff. And being a walk-on, that stuff never really was in my head. And then, you know, I transitioned to fullback, which, you know, probably I should have been playing the entire time. It's definitely like my natural fit. And I was playing really well the first three games. And, you know, well, scouts have practice all the time. So it, in a program like that, every practice you probably have 10 to 15 scouts from different teams. And, um, you know, Jarrell Worthy, I remember, he came up to me and he's like, yeah, man, like all these scouts are asking me about you. And I was like, me? <laughs> and they were, because like, he was like a first round draft pick, you know, or like early second round. And I, they were like, yeah, man, like the Ravens, all these teams. And I was like, do they ask about everybody? Like, I didn't even understand. <laughs> so, you know, as the season went on, like it went from that, that was probably the third game of the year. And then to the end, it was like, I got to get an agent. I need to go train and, you know just kind of took off. So I had a really good senior year and kind of hit my stride and, 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 you know, having Le'Veon behind you also gives a little publicity <laughs> in the game. So that kind of sparked everything. It was crazy though. He was so good, but like, I don't think we understood how good he was because he, we also had a all big 10 running back in front of him who was older. So yeah, almost like, and it didn't miss the boat, but it, it was just, a, it's amazing to see him now. I mean, first of all, it's crazy to think about that many scouts at a, at a practice. Yeah. You know, that alone, probably, I'm, I'm sure people don't realize that. Yeah, don't drink the ball. You look really stupid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what are those breakouts in practice like when you're sitting there with, with those two guys 
and that's your practice time. Like, is that, I mean, how competitive was that? That's gotta be a lot of fun. It's, oh, it's super fun. You know, you get, a, I mean, we had such a good vibe and like good group of guys. Like it was competitive, but it was like, like in a very, you know, you see, like you see videos like Michael Jordan and like people like competing one-on-one after practice and stuff like, and they're going at it, but it was like that, like, you know, fun team environment. Um, but you also don't realize how elite some of those guys are when you're around them every single day. And, you know, the difference between like someone that's an NFL player and the elite, like the, the margin of the differences in talent are not that high. So, you know, when you see it every day, you don't realize it's just a normal guy. Like Le'Veon was my roommate in camp. He was not a good roommate. He would, he'd listen to music like the entire time. But <laughs> you don't realize that it's probably one of the best guys to ever play the position of running back. Or you don't realize what they're going to evolve into. Yeah, it's true. People do not realize the difference between even even D2 to D1, let alone D1 to pro and how fast it is and how complex it is. And I know you, I, heard, I read an article on you where you talked about that too. Just the planning for a game is so much more complex. Yeah, I mean, the, the NFL playbooks are just out of control. I mean, my offense coordinator was Brian Schottenheimer, so you know, he's, he's a little more on the complex side anyways. But, like, it's not even the offensive playbook. It was the, you know, every D lineman can probably run a 40 time comparable to some linebackers in, in the Big Ten or FTC, like a slower linebacker. So, like, you know, when you think about how much ground they can travel, it opens up literally any scheme you can ever imagine. Some crazy stuff where you can be bringing six guys from one side, nobody from the other, because everyone's so athletic. And so then it just, you know, the offense becomes so much more complicated because you have to adjust all those things. And, and I mean, we had, you know, our snap counts are based on which way the play was going. You know, our color dictated if there was audibles. You know, we call two plays in the huddle almost every single time. I mean, almost every route had an option route based on the coverage. It was crazy. Uh, it, it makes you feel for these guys that are like not, you know, there's a couple guys in the Bears. I know they always talk about, you know, they're just not getting it. When you hear of it this way, you're almost like, well, yeah, I get it. I get that they're not getting it. Yeah. <laughs> it it's also crazy to see, like, you know, some guys obviously are, are brought up in areas that don't have the resources with, like, communication and education in school and stuff, and people don't think they're smart. But all the resources are part of the football. And then when you get them in that environment, they're super smart. It's not that they're not smart people or super intelligent. It's just they didn't have the resources growing up in the things that we value as a society as far as communication goes. So, yeah, it's wild to see how some guys, like, you know, aren't going to give the best interview. But, man, they get on the field and they, they know every single thing that's going to happen. Yeah. It was, the thing that messed me up the most is, like, literally if the play went to the right, it was on two. And if it went to the left – it's on one, which makes actually way more sense if you think about it because you have to know the play, right? So if you know the play, you know the snap count. But right. for some reason, it like messed with my head. It made it seem more complicated when it was actually less things to remember. I don't know why. It was tough. And Katie, do you like football? Um, don't even lie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it. I mean, you know, I think it's not fair because when I made my comeback, do not less anything. When I made my comeback, you know, he obviously got way more into swimming and understanding it. And I cared more. That's what you said. No, <laughs> but you know, he was at the end of his career, so obviously, if he was playing, I would care a lot more. But I don't really, you know, watch it or it, it's on. You know, I support Michigan State. I, you know, all of that. But it's definitely not something that I enjoy watching. Well, lot. and that's why I asked because I think that's that's been my history with it. Is it is a complex sport, and it's usually not one like all sports are complex, but football is like visually complex. Basketball, you're like, I get it. 
go put it in the hoop. Like there's more to it, but I can get it. Like hockey, baseball, kind of the same thing. Football, just it's, it's a different animal for sure. Oh yeah. Like when I went, so I went and surprised him when like we were first starting dating when he was playing in St. Louis and like his mom would start clapping and I would be like, Oh, <laughs> they didn't know what was going on. So uh, yeah, I feel like so, football is so many like, like people cheer for penalties, rules. Like, yeah, you know, like, like if you don't understand it, it it, it almost is like deterring because you're like I have no idea what's going on. But swimming, like I feel like it took you a while, to, like understand all the terms and like you yeah. Know, but swimming, like if I'm a spectator, it's like okay, yeah. that person won. It's exciting. They win. Congratulations. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> Football is like a sitcom where you need that applause sign to go up on the big screen <laughs> and, just, and just tell people when it's time. Yeah. So so Katie, your like light bulb moment had to be way younger. I mean, so you're you're getting. I mean, 15 years old, that's, I mean, can you even, at that age, is there any really understanding of what's happening and the magnitude of being a pro? I mean, unfortunately, there was understanding of what was happening. <laughs> okay. It's almost better if, like, the ignorance is bliss type thing. I think, you know, leading into 04, like, my improvement from, you know, just turned 14 to just turned 50 was insane. Like, I went from sitting down with my coach a year out from Olympic trials in 2003 saying, hey, you know, obviously I have a goal of making an Olympic team. You know, I think this time around, if I can make the final, which is top eight, that would be a great setup for experience for 08. And then I dropped like 10, 12 seconds in my 400 IM, which was my best race, and then another like five in my 200 IM. And suddenly, you know, three months into trials, I'm ranked number one in the nation in both of those events. And it was like very much going so fast and then you know by the time I made the Olympic team first national team never been out of the country never been away from my parents just very naive and I was a very naive 15 year old I was not you know I it was homeschooled and so I just was like bright-eyed the whole time and you know these expectations came with making the Olympic team and then you know to go out there and, and not do well you know not get a medal, which is, you know, obviously the standard and what I wanted was really hard to now looking back, I'm like, I don't know how I didn't just like quit right there because, you know, my mom was even saying last week or this past weekend, you know, you know, having NBC come on and literally in front of 6 million people say, you know, Katie Hoff, like disastrous, you know, first race. And she's like, don't say that about my child. You know, it's crazy the way that. Yeah. You're 15 and, and they're portraying it like they're letting down the entire country. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, every four years, you know, they kind of, and the same thing kind of happened to me in 08 in a very different way in terms of the way they framed somebody. But I definitely, at that point, was like, wow, there's, this is real. There's a lot of expectation that goes along with this. And then, you know, the decision to turn pro happened a year later when I, you know, went to world championships, had that redemption, you know, won three events. And at that point, I was kind of like, all right, well, I've invested and undergone a lot of, a lot of craziness at this point. Nothing can, can knock me down. I, I'm ready to kind of take this on and go after it. So. And have you, I, I read somewhere you said, you know, it was, it was more stressful than fun and that maybe one day you could like kind of look back more on it and see it as the achievement. And I want to get more in later. We're going to talk more about pro sports lives, but is that something you feel like you've been able to do more and more or not yet? I don't think I'm ever going to look back on and be like, wow, that, the 2008 Olympic Games were super fun. Like I swam like every second, eight days straight. Um, yeah. I think the perspective I really gained is understanding the mentality that got me to all of the accomplishments is super transferable for the rest of my life. So even though there were a lot of times, I mean, there's definitely fun times in my career, but even though a lot of times were very stressful and maybe I didn't fully enjoy it, 
to the extent that I wanted, what I was able to develop and the just that mindset, which I think is, I've realized is, is more on the unique side. is something that I've now been able to really apply to my future and being successful away from the pool. And what are some of those things specifically? What was so transferable that you still use? Is it more of a work ethic thing or, or what is it? Yeah. I mean, I think work ethic is almost an understatement. I think it's just like this relentless intensity that I can, you know, glom onto something and not let go until it's finished in a very, I wouldn't say psychotic way, but in a, in a very obsessive <laughs> psychotic way. <laughs> like, like I'm going to go, you know, like in swimming, I have a story I always tell where I did a set in the morning, went through full two hours, wasn't happy with the paces that I did, went back, home was super pissed called my coach and was like I'm gonna go back on a Saturday afternoon will you meet me at the pool I'm gonna do the whole thing over again um and that's like that's just because it, I didn't want to ever look back and say I have regret I didn't fully do every little detail to the extreme to accomplish what yeah. I need to accomplish and that's I mean even when I was at in sales equinox I was chasing people in heels out the door because they didn't want to sign up I mean just everything that I do that I have that focus around, I'm going to do it to the extreme because it's worth being the best and feeling extraordinary. Problem is, is once you locks on to like me not doing the dishes <laughs> and then like the same intensity is brought to the table. Yeah, <laughs> so, it's, tra- it's very transferable, but at some points you wish it wasn't. Very. <laughs> positive and negative. I just did the dishes. And it- <laughs> well, so I was going to say, do you end up doing the dishes though? Is it? Do you pick your battles now? I'm going, okay, this is clearly not going to be let go until it's done. So I better just get it I'm done. We've been married five years now. So I think we both have like yeah. understood our battles. Yeah. And- <laughs> I'm not. Oh, and the house will blow up. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a little trigger there because it tends to be a, a reoccurring thing of me not doing it. But yeah, you we worked through it. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, speaking of you two and differences, have you compared like to different, like, training styles and health focuses you had as athletes. So, I mean, were you both pretty equally in terms of hard workers? What was nutrition like? Like, you know, you're both fitness professionals now. So obviously, and and Todd, you and I have sat in a lot of rooms together and talked about the importance of these things that I didn't, I know I didn't think about at ages 18 to 22. What were the differences in your training experiences as athletes? I mean, I think, well, I'm going to tell the one story about nutrition. So Todd's biggest draw to me in the first time meeting me was he looked in my fridge and saw like Greek yogurt and like lean meats and vegetables. And his mom said he called her the next day and was like, this girl is awesome. Like she had like Greek yogurt and like. (laughs) That was like before, that was the front edge of the curve, you know, before that stuff. But everyone was like, like, yeah. So I think we both were really focus on nutrition and, and I think you more than most football players were into that stuff and understood the value um but yeah. I think in terms of like I mean I'm gonna speak this maybe you think I'm wrong but I feel like the work ethic and the intensity like he is such a like people would guess that about me like I'm high strong I'm super intense he has this kind of like dormant intensity that you know when he's in the mode or on the football field like that craziness comes out too and I think that's, I mean, I think that's what, what attracted me to him to start was that intense, you don't walk on to Michigan State and become a starter if you don't have that. So I think that's something we both really respect in each other is that just, I'm going to go after it. I'm going to be a hard worker and do what I need to do to get it done. 
I was like very into training and stuff all throughout. Like I wanted to go into strength conditioning initially. And like, so I, you know, I, I mean, my, my bodybuilding.com cart was out of control. Like I wanted to do everything possible to like get the most out of the stuff I was doing. So I was like super into that the whole time. I mean, looking back, I probably wasted a lot of money because there was a lot of supplements that didn't do anything, but um, <laughs> right. I was very involved. Like, yeah. you know, I, you know, obviously we, we drank and had a good time, but like, I was very like particular when I would do that. Like we wouldn't do it in the weeks and stuff like that. And like, I was very aware of what was happening. I would say you had more resources and you would just, you would do what you were told. Yeah. Like, I, I was like interested in it and seeking yeah. it where she was diligent about what was told to her, but I don't think you really cared. No, I was just like, I trust this coach. I trust this trainer. You tell me to do this. I'm just going to blindly follow, which is maybe a good thing or a bad thing. But in that, I, I mean, even to the point where like when he trained me at the end of my career with a lot of that stuff, he could tell me to do it. I wasn't questioning it at all because I trusted him. First time she never questioned me. <laughs> and last? <laughs> and yeah, it was first and last. <laughs> I, dream, I dream of those sessions. <laughs> was like, it was crazy though. She like, you know, she, would, she had an altitude tent. You sleep in an altitude tent, it, you know, for forever. And I'm like, oh my God, that'd be the sweetest thing. You know, I'm like so interested. And she's like, oh, this is such a pain. You know, it's just a different, just different interest. What happened after the first night that you went in it with me? Oh yeah, it was awful. <laughs> like I ended up sleeping on the couch. You, first off, one glass of wine and sleeping in the altitude tent, hangover from hell. You know what I mean? And then also like, if you have to go pee, like you unzip this whole stupid thing. Yeah. <laughs> Gatorade bottles became a hot commodity there for a minute. Okay. That's a long way of answering your question. I think we both are hard workers and, and care about those extra things. I think the reason you went into the field that you went into in terms of training is you have that thirst for knowledge and that curiosity in the, the next level of those things. And I just found people that were at that next level in that knowledge. Yeah. Well, and I, and someone like me always has to wonder that, you know, if you didn't have that interest as someone that, you know, you describe yourself as kind of like that, that bubble guy that was always, you know, the, the underdog coming up that's a difference maker, right? Because if you're not into that stuff early, I maybe think, maybe not, but maybe things are a little different. I mean, I think it kind of like, you know, even if it, even if none of that stuff worked, it like gives you that mental edge, like whatever, like when you think you're getting an edge, you think you can get ahead or you're doing everything you can, it gives you clarity and it gives you like some, um, I guess, calmness around like the work you're putting in. Yeah, well, that makes sense. And it makes sense, Kay, that you would be, I mean, at that age, you're probably just more just given direction, right? There probably isn't, it was there a lot less choice in anything. Um, I mean, I think I, I just am very fortunate. My mom and her are actually wired very similarly and she would research the top things in terms of recovery, in terms of, you know, nutritional supplements that were obviously clean, but you know, would really help me. And she was on it. So I feel like, you know, by the time I was leaving home, I kind of already had those, you know, habits instilled in me that I understood from literally the age of 12 years old, that that was something that was going to give me the edge and make sure that I had done everything yeah. in my power to be successful. Yeah. Her mom was on it. Like she was even doing like blood tests and, yeah. and recommend having doctors recommend supplements based off that, like well before yeah. people were really doing that. And so, and where does your mom get that from? Is that, was it just care for her daughter that sparked it out of nowhere or what did she have a history with? She should have been a holistic doctor. Like I think if way back in the day when she was going, you know, she was going through school, 
and she I mean, she played at Stanford basketball, so she was obviously focused on that. But I think in an alternative universe, she just really had similar. I think just has that interest yeah. um, and curiosity about that. And to this day, I mean, yeah. the two of them will like will go home and they're talking about it, and I'm like, hey, you guys go have fun. Yeah, I mean, I, I, would, I, would, I would ask for her recommendations on a lot of stuff. Just yeah, she's like diligent about the research and, yeah. and she you know she understands i mean she's extremely intelligent understands like what's bs and what's not but i but obviously a great athletic background she played basketball at stanford that's yeah. oh yeah she's a beast like i literally we were just home this past weekend and saw her faces in the crowd in sports illustrated like she was like broke the record for uh all-time points for back in the day when she played at Stanford. So yeah, she obviously had that mentality and understood. So I think it all comes first full circle when, you know, her perspective on that and ours. Very cool. Did your, were your parents or were your family big sports before you too? Well, so my, my mom didn't play any sports, which is wild. Yeah. And my dad liked golf and played baseball, but not really, you know, just okay. if, if I stood next to my, my parents, <laughs> Think they're my parents. <laughs> well, yeah, you're not you're not a small guy, and I've seen you lift many people in gym. That's something that I've seen a lot of videos. <laughs> totally not my parents like that. They this is not their world. Yeah. It's funny. So you came, you started training, Katie, and is it true that <laughs> the quote from one of the articles was, if you mentioned that you had missed a pull up as you're walking home, you'd insist on turning around to getting it done. That happened. Yep. Yeah. And we like, so the, it's crazy. Like if you look, if you walked into the pool that I trained at a year out from the 2004 games, you would be like, what is this dump? There's no way an Olympian came from here. It was like, it was this basically for people who were testing out uh, oxygen tanks, like scuba divers. And so we had this pull up bar that was like that rickety where you could literally just like buy it off Amazon and like set it up and you could, <laughs> it was rickety and people had to stand on it. And I was diligent. Like if pull-ups were really big for me because it gave me a lot of confidence because so much of swimming is upper body. And so from the age of like 11 years old, I was like, all right, I need to be doing three sets of 10 pull-ups. I need to continue to do pull-ups with my age. No, I can't do 31 pull-ups. I got to 17. But I was just, you know, obsessed. I mean, to the point where like, as maybe sound so OCD, like I was putting notches on my hand with a pen to make sure I didn't skip any sets or count wrong or if I miss one rep I started over and so so yeah my mom picked me up and we were driving home and I was like (gasps) and she was like thought that you know we ran someone over or something by the reaction and I was like we have to go back like I forgot to do pull-ups and she was like are you serious I was like yeah you need to turn the car around and so she turned the car around I ran back in like the coach was like what is she doing because like the next group was in and I popped out three sets of ten pull-ups finished ran back out got in the car and then left (laughs) that is Unbelievable. Uh, were you there for this, Dad? No, that was before. Oh, that was like before you. Okay. <laughs> and, but that's incredible, though. Uh, I mean, I guess that's where that tenacity you're talking about comes in. Yeah, that's the tenacity. <laughs> and, so then, how do how does Todd become training you? Then how does that just kind of just naturally happen because you were in the field, or I mean, you were working with a lot of other pros too at the time, weren't you? Yeah, I, I worked with some people, and then you know, honestly, and this kind of how like our business thing has evolved, like there's a big opportunity in swimming. You know, I think that like, as you know, like, so swimming, right. Is they have a swim coach. Swimming doesn't have the most resources in general. Right. So they have the swim coach and a lot of times the swim coach is kind of meant to handle the strength conditioning side, but it's kind of unfair if somebody, you know, a football coach would never have to be the football coach and the strength conditioning coach. And so even at higher levels, a lot of times some of that falls on the swim coach and a lot of it's just like not great, you know, 
It's a ton of core stuff, like anterior core work, you know, hip flexion stuff. And um, I just kind of saw it and, and I saw some of the stuff she was doing, she was doing well. And I'm like, I really think I can help you. And just kind of using some of the more innovative stuff from fitness and yeah. strength conditioning world and applying it. And really like, it was like, how can we like help you obviously keep through full range of motion, add some strength, but keep you swimming fast and not beat you down because a lot of these programs are just grinding people down, you know, barbell work and all this heavy strength work. Yeah. And so I was like, you know, let's give it a shot. And the other thing was, is she was coming back like from a, she took like a couple of years off. So it wasn't like there was huge pressure and I was like, let's just try it. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like this works and I don't want to like veer off this. It was kind of a new beginning you kind of eased into it so it just kind of naturally fell in place i actually don't even remember like i don't feel like it was ever an official conversation where it was like you want to train me or he was like can i like it was just like i was already going and we were you know in the time between i was already starting to work out and i never got out of shape on land of course i lost swimming shape but it just kind of made sense and then as we started going i kept getting stronger and i kept i could actually feel the connection between what we were doing on land and what I was doing in the pool. And I was astounded because it had been so long since I had really felt that or felt that I wasn't just being beat down just to be beat down on the land portion and not having it help me yeah. in the water. So Yeah. I think in, in, you know, looking at swimming, you know, I think the two biggest things that aren't taken into account is like, one, every other sport, gravity plays a huge role, and that's all you manipulate in the gym usually anyway. So it easily transfers to the sport. Well, swimming, you pretty much throw that out the window, right? You're only dealing with resistance to the water. And then the other thing is that, you know, it, swimming, especially like backstroke, some of these different strokes and in, in the movements aren't not, like the, the body did not evolve doing these movements. So like right. there are going to be certain things. You're going to have issues in the same areas. And, you know, I think people think, Swimming is like a low impact sport, so there won't be problems. But like, if you continue to do those motions that aren't normal for the body, you're going to have issues. Yeah. yeah. So addressing some of that stuff, that was kind of the approach. And it's more just like, how do we keep you swimming as fast as possible? Not like we need to make you some beast in the weight room, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The times I've been like, you know, gotten my best max out squat and be able to pull ups with 45 pound weight vest was actually the time I swam the slowest in my life, in my career. So it's hard because as a swimmer, as a high level athlete, you just want to like go, 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 push, push, push. And it's, you know, really being able to understand that sometimes more is not better. Um, which, yeah. you know, the, some of the swimmers we work with now, I can see their minds going through it and how uncomfortable it is, but it yeah. really does ultimately, you know, help for the better. Yeah. I interviewed uh, Ryan Gambin in one of the episodes. I don't know if you listened to that one, but he was there with you in 2008. And in our interview, he said the same thing. He said a big turning point for him was a switch in coaching to where he said his his quote was his, his work ethic was actually one of his temporary downfalls because he was just exhausting himself over and over. And it took a coach that he trusted enough to say, I need to scale you back a little bit and work a little more efficiently. And that's when he, it was, it was prior to 2008 where he finally had some of his breakthroughs. So um, it's, it's amazing because I think that's, and just from the switch from athletics to fitness, it's always a more mentality, right? Everyone just, more is always better. Meanwhile, people are just burnt out at all ends. Before we get to kind of your current work, which I, I want to, I'm interested in, I want to talk about transitions. So you both, I guess, neither of you would say you ended your athletic careers on your own terms. Is that, would you say that's accurate? 
Um, I know Todd, I read that you were still waiting for, for calls, um, yeah. you know, after, after the Rams preseason and, and Katie, unfortunately you had your medical issues, right? Yeah. First of all, what's it like to not be able to end that on your own terms? And then the second, the follow-up question right to that would be, you know, people have to go through forced transitions in life, maybe not the same as yours. And, you know, most people don't experience going from pro athletes to, to a different career, but you know, if you can take your experience and give people advice towards how to transition when you have to, you know, I guess, what would it be? So, I mean, answer that any way that, that fits you. I mean, first off, I think it's just going through the grieving process and being okay with the timeline, however long it takes. So, I mean, I, so yeah, so I had a pulmonary embolism in my lungs, which is two blood clots. I had two blood clots and I mean, that it took a really long time for diagnosis, so that was very stressful. And then I actually tried to keep going for another year with a huge scar tissue buildup. And ultimately, the reason I retired, you know, a year out from 2016 was just I was miserable every day. I was, I don't think I went a day without crying. It was the whole point of the comeback was to enjoy the process, enjoy what I was doing, and it was the opposite. I was depressed. Like, I mean, I feel like anyone who knew me in Miami would probably think I was not a nice person because I just wasn't myself. I I lost sight of that. And so then I retired and it was like, okay, so now 15 years of being defined as like the Olympic athlete, I didn't want anything to do with the sport. And I think the reason I've been able to get to where I am now, five years later, was just everything that I had to go with from the grieving to the pain and having people around me that just let that happen. You know, he didn't, he was a huge help in that because he understood it, but he didn't try to force me into doing clinics, force me into writing a book. You know, sometimes I got little, little pushes along the way, um, which was helpful, but I just had to kind of go on my own timeline and work through and just face it, which kind of, sucks as that as that being the advice because it's just painful but being able to do that and then go okay now what am I passionate about what can I take from what I just did for 15 years and how can I apply it to now regenerating that feeling of feeling extraordinary feeling accomplished feeling motivated feeling inspired that was the, the hardest thing for me to define again because obviously swimming for the Olympics and breaking world records was a pretty high extraordinary. And so the biggest thing for me was, well, how the heck do I feel that again? And and what is that going to take? And yeah, it took me probably until like literally a couple months ago to, to get to that spot again. I think that's great advice though. Cause I think people had this mentality of sometimes you just have to ignore and just, you know, like you got to suck it up and you just got to turn around and you got to just do what you got to do. But I like your advice better of it's sometimes you just got to face it and you have to just acknowledge that it's okay, that things do suck and kind of let time pass. Yeah. And I will say, you know, they're, they're definitely, I, I was guilty of it. That's why I'm able to give this advice. Like I, I wish that I hadn't, I still had to get away from it, but there was a lot of times where I think initially I did ignore and push down feelings and it manifested itself in the wrong way. And so yes, go through it. Yes, face it, feel the pain. But um, if I had to give someone advice, it's like, try to find the people around you to address the pain maybe a little sooner so that you're not kind of feeling a loss as long. Five years was a really long time. Yeah, sure. Yeah. How, Todd, how about you? Was your transition away from sports anywhere similar? Um, I, I would say it was, we handled it mentally a lot different. I mean, I think I kind of just fell into something that was similar 
but I think I was very passionate about like the fitness industry, strength and conditioning stuff. So like that made it a little easier. But I think, yeah, I think having people around you, like, so if I didn't have Katie, like, you know, some of these conversations, like when, when you go into transition, a lot of it has to do with like your identity, you know, and, and just who you see yourself as. And so, you know, I think getting around people that are like-minded, it, some of these conversations that you have can sound very judgmental and they, they are very vulnerable. And it's just, I think having people around you that have come from the same situation is extremely helpful in, in just being honest about it because, you know, everybody has an ego and there's certain things that, you know, people won't like to admit of why it's a hard transition. And I think being honest with yourself and about those things can help you overcome them. And the other thing is I think people think that they need to literally like transition. Okay. I need to find the next thing and know that that's what I'm going after. And that's going to take time. Like it took you probably, you know, 10 to 15 years of your life to figure out what that first goal was, whether football swimming, whatever it may be. So why do you think that you can just all of a sudden a week later come up with this next <laughs> giant goal that you're super passionate about? Right. You know, I think sometimes there is like, okay, this sucks. Like let's, let's keep moving, keep meeting people, being around the right type of people and things will kind of fall into place. It doesn't have to be a week after something happens. Yeah. yeah, don't rush. You know, it's that I, the comparison I was thinking about is, you know, people transition from relationships all the time, right? Marriages end. And, you know, that was you know, yours is from athletics, but people change jobs. People stop college. College is a big thing for people that kind of fits a tough transition out for people. But in a relationship, you wouldn't turn around and just marry the next person like the next day. At least I, I really hope not. Some people might. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, and some people do. I, 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 I don't, I don't think those go well. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so that's a good comparison of sometimes you just have to, you have, to you have to go and give yourself the time to find the next thing. So top for you, it was good that you already had this passion instilled because that obviously bridged you a little better. Yeah, for sure. Knowing. And I knew that even like going in. So like in college, when I got the opportunity to go, like go to pro day and, and had an agent that was going to pay for my training and stuff, like I had still six credits left, which ended up taking me a couple of years to finish. It was a whole mess. But you know, I ended up going and leaving school early to do that because I was like, I think I want to do this. This could be a good opportunity just to learn from somebody who does combine preparation stuff. So like I had, I had that in my head early on. So that did help a lot. Smooth. Okay. Yeah. We're very, actually very, I was like envious, but I remember always being like, well, what, why are you not, why are you just like seemingly okay? Like, <laughs> oh, I'm just like the one that's the mess in the relationship. He's waiting for me to break <laughs> I'm like, do it. <laughs> no, just kidding. But I, <laughs> but I, yeah, I think that um, that was my problem. I was just so laser focused on what was going on in front of me that I just don't think I, I almost think that I thought that if I were to think, okay, what's after sport and meant that for, which is not rational, but it meant that I was less focused on what was going on. And so that would be another piece of advice I'd say for people. It's okay to start to, you know, understand some other things that you might be interested or passionate about and really helps that transition. And I know a lot of people who have done that even in swimming or in other sports where they, you know, do make a, a better transition because they feel like, okay, cool. So this is something that, you know, I've explored and I have something else to do. I, I didn't really have that lined up. To me, it makes sense that, I mean, I can't imagine going into something at 15, like for Todd, I mean, Todd knew more than me, but I mean, school is like a natural breakup for most sports, right? Like there's high school and then you go to college and then that ends and then maybe, you, maybe you play at next level. But for you, Kate, it seems like, I mean, yours is just nonstop from, from what, 13 until recently. So, I mean, it, I guess what I'm trying to say is it, it, makes more sense to me that it would be harder for you to have a, something like in the background already because yours is 
untransitional almost. I mean, even in the seasons, you know, swimming was the most that you didn't You swim. get like a couple weeks like off. Football, like you have <laughs> these different, you know, sections of the year, but like yeah. they were powered through for like decades. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> exhausting yeah. when I think about it. Yeah, I mean, that is, yeah. I think there, there is just that, I think now that I look back, the young age is definitely kind of the culprit of, you know, how I viewed myself, the identity, you know, the accolades and the, you know, affirmation that I was getting when I was doing really well, as well as, you know, the, just the beat down I was getting when I wasn't doing well. So that had a huge effect on how I viewed the sport, how I viewed myself, just based on how fast I was going up and down the pool, which is, you know, definitely not healthy and, and really hard to detach from. Right. And you mentioned the book, which now is actually becoming a thing, right? So you, now you actually do a book. Yeah. So do, do you want to talk about that? What, what's the book? How to come about? What's it about? Uh, yeah, I'd love to. So the book is called Blueprint. Um, so really the premise of that was just that every single person in their life has a blueprint, right? A, a plan that they've looked at and seen as kind of where they want to be, what they want to do, who they want to be around. And I had a very specific blueprint from literally the age of 10 that I was going to swim in five Olympics I wanted to win gold medals and things, you know, how many times does an architect have to edit and adjust their blueprint? And that's really what I learned that I needed to do in order to continue to be successful and get back up and overcome life's obstacles. And so the book is, is really a memoir of, you know, a lot of my experiences from a really young age, all the way through both Olympics, all the way through my retirement. And the really cool thing I'm proud about covering is that I then cover the transition from retiring really up to present day. So kind of my journey of finding my new extraordinary, finding my new why, got really, really vulnerable with just the feelings and emotions that come with retiring. And yeah, it, it was a very cathartic experience. It was something, the reason I waited for five years since retirement was that I just, again, wasn't ready to truly face it. And I didn't want to write a book if I couldn't, truly be authentic and real and vulnerable and not write this bubblegum book like everything's perfect and amazing and and um i just didn't feel like that was fair to readers and so yeah it comes out at the end of november i actually go to michigan this weekend or the end of this week to shoot the cover so things are really really coming together which is nuts because it's been a full year not even a full year since i started the journey with the ghostwriter and everything so been fast. Very cool. Todd, are you taking sneak peeks at the book as it goes or is she making you wait? I, I've read it, but <laughs> I, uh, she wrote a, what's it called? I wrote a dedication page and he literally won't read it. I'm like, it'll warm your heart. Just read the dedication. I'm like putting it in front of his face. And I was like, I want to be surprised. I'm like, you read the whole no, book. I'm going to wait till the audio, but I want to hear, no. hear you say it. <laughs> uh, are you going to read the audio book? Cause that would be, then I feel like I have to listen to it instead of read it. Yeah, I'm reading it. Yeah. Oh, very cool. All right. Well, that's a whole separate set of questions that I want to ask now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we talked last time too a little bit about what athletes, the Olympic athletes specifically, well, I should say the support that maybe they don't get upon retirement. And I don't want to dig into, you know, what you have in the book too much, but is that something you want to touch on a little bit? How, you know, it's, it, when we talked last time, it reminded me of almost like a veteran, a conversation I would have with a veteran of where, you know, after they leave the military, they almost feel like there's just kind of just plopped off in the real world and there isn't much direction. I know there's a lot of groups doing a lot of great work with that as well, but any, anything on that? Yeah. I mean, um, I think 
I brought up the weight of gold, the HBO special that Michael Phelps created, which was really heavy, but, but very impactful. Yeah, I think, you know, and I think it's not really, it's no, no one's fault in particular. You know, you could say, I could put it on myself and say, well, I should have reached out to people. But I think the feeling when you retire, especially when you don't retire on your own terms, or, I mean, for me, I felt like a failure. So I, I felt like I just didn't feel confident to reach out, which sounds kind of crazy. And I also felt like you feel alone. You feel like there's no way that everyone else is feeling this way. In fact, every single person that retires, regardless of whether they ended on a high note or a low note, is going through some of those feelings. And so it's funny because, you know, a couple of friends and I were talking in January about it and it's like, why did we not contact each other? You know, why did we not? And again, I think it's just because you think it, there's a little bit of almost ego too. I think you don't want to say, Hey, I'm really struggling and I'm having meltdowns every day. You know, that's just not something you, as an athlete, you're supposed to be tough all the time it's just to handle it. And so you're just wired that way from the age of 10. And so, I mean, I was very fortunate because I had, you know, I had no problem breaking down to him, which was unfair to him sometimes, but I, I was able to truly say how I was feeling, didn't matter what it was, if it was embarrassing or, or made me really vulnerable. You know, it would have been nice to have almost someone from that world reach out after all these years and say like, hey, you doing okay? We see that you've literally fallen off the face of the earth. You're not doing a lot. How, how, how are you mentally? How are you adjusting? It's just kind of not the culture. And I think, you know, there's been some people that have reached out recently as I've kind of made my way back to the swimming world that have made some comments about we realize it's an issue and we want to make changes. Uh, I think it's just a lot more complicated than just creating a support group or I, I think it's, it starts, it starts earlier. I think it starts, it should start during the swimming career. And so I, you know, dur or during any athlete's career, I just think it, it'll take, it takes a lot more people that are willing to help. And that's honestly within this transition where I've really felt empowered and extraordinary because I've been trying to reach out to people and, you know, do more, speak on it more and be vulnerable so that people who are kind of in the sports still or just retiring understand that it should be talked about and it's normal and it's okay that, you know, it's okay not to be okay. Yeah. Well, and this is the first step, right? Just people talking about things more, always bring them to light. Yeah. So I got to imagine between, you know, people like you and I mean, obviously Michael Phelps comes out and, and says what he did in the documentary, you know, hopefully that leads at least to change as well. Yeah. yeah. I think it's hard. You know, people have to seek help also. I think that's yeah. the other side of the coin. It's like, yeah, it's great everyone talks about it because hopefully that, that relieves some of that uneasiness. But like, even, you know, like from the NFL, like everyone talks about like how everyone blows their money. The NFL provides free financial advising for life. That's a perk. If you play one day, if you get signed for one day, the NFL, they'll provide free financial advising, but people don't seek the resources and, you can give people a ton of resources, but they don't want to do it. You know, it becomes very difficult. So how do we you know, make people want to do that and be more comfortable and, and seek those things? Normalize it. Because yeah. you can't force them. No. No, I, you know, even from a training standpoint, you know, I think I've told every client I've ever had that I, I can only do so much. If you don't communicate back to me, if you don't come back to me, if you don't tell me what's wrong when it is wrong, this is going to be a failed relationship at any point anyway. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I have heard that from other people. They do that though, and that's great. But you're right; it's only great if people take advantage of it. Yeah. Now, both of you have found your way back to working with with some athletes, though. 
at least, at least recently. So, I mean, well, Todd, I know you really never stop, but so Katie, you're, you're working with swimmers again, and both you have some new projects coming on. Do you want to talk about what you guys are doing now? You mentioned the business earlier. Yeah. Yeah. So Synergy Dryland is our joint dryland company. And yeah, I mean, we launched it in, in the middle of a pandemic and yeah. really, I mean, it's kind of a combination of what we spoke about earlier with our under his understanding and our understanding of you know the disconnect sometimes in swimming and dry land and in water and the response we has have received since launching it's been now what two months two months of officially launching and already you know working with some teams and working with some individuals and um it's been so rewarding just to hear their feedback of feeling the connection to the water that i felt is awesome. And, you know, I think it's kind of a very unique pair of, you know, I obviously have the lens of swimming and understanding the workouts and the terminology and just kind of that feeling. And he's has, you know, obviously a huge background in the science of everything and the connection and being able to cue and deliver like I can't. And so, um, that's been kind of, I think, really special that we've been able to do something together for the first time and feel like we're really making an impact already so soon. Yeah, it's cool because, like, we've also been able to work with some, like, really good swimmers. And, um, you know, it's kind of like the best of both worlds because, like, some of these swim sets and stuff, like, I have, like, it's, (laughs) you know, it's intricate. It's like, I've never been around this stuff. So, like, she can break it down to me and I can digest it in a way that I can relate it to, to the other side. And, like, I don't think... Like, I would doubt that, I mean, I have a husband and wife, so we have a pretty good relationship, obviously. <laughs> right. And, like, we're, like, a swim coach is never going to have that amount of time or connection to a strength conditioning coach to, like, be able to understand each other. So it makes, like, writing these programs for, for teams and individuals just, like, really fun and I think really effective because, yeah. you know, there's just such good perspectives and differences. And then also, like, I think with taking stuff from other sports and athletics and applying it to strength and conditioning with swimming, which has been kind of an older, old school mentality like we've been able to get some some really cool results and it's i don't know about you but for me it's it's always fueling to still work with some level of of athletics you know 90 percent of what i do is still with the adult population yeah. but the 10 percent i get with my pro basketball guys and my high school baseball guys like that hour is like it's like a big log on a fire for me because <laughs> like you know especially like swimming is cool because like the times it's so easy to see improvement yeah yeah. And it's like it's like so straightforward so yeah it's cool when you get the text that like they're feeling so much better in the water and stuff like that yeah very very cool and is is all this in person or is some of this virtual as well it's all virtual it's all it's all, it's all yeah. virtual right now oh okay so like basically like um well we've done some like one-on-one but it's more like team and so we work with the coach right and we can either provide their coaches and they can facilitate the programs and, and we'll meet with them monthly and like kind of show them what, what how, how things should play out in the workout or um, we can upload a, into an app and the kids can do it on their own and kind of update like their weights and sets and reps and stuff and hit complete so like we know or the coach knows if they've all done it. Very cool. What a great idea. I mean, it's kind of dumb. Yeah, it really did. It was kind of like, I mean, it started in terms of really seeing this huge um, interest. Obviously, you know, when COVID hit, um, you know, everything was shut down. And so I started doing these, um, live workouts to work live workouts weekly. Like I would literally just be in the living room and like kids would log on and I would just sweat it out and just toil away with these kids for almost an hour. And then from there, it kind of realized like, okay, wow, you know, this is, this is really a want and a need right now. And then it kind of moved more into 
wow, like this is really, this would make so much sense in terms of what we both have to bring. And, and even now, sometimes teams will offer just to like, Hey, do you want to, if you want to just get on a live workout, we'll lead your team through a workout via zoom. Um, so that's another option. So I think with that and, and also being able to have, you know, some knowledge on then from obviously he gives, he's a sleep coach, gives sleep talks. And so we, we address more than just, you know, the, yeah. the load management and in water, there's sleep, there's, you know, as we talked about yeah. earlier, how those other pieces have to be a factor in the conversation in terms of performance. Yeah. So, so I think bringing those, like those different pillars to even just like the awareness of kids that age, you know, yeah. about sleep, like hydration, we under, hydration, tracking, yeah, hydration, like, nutrition, just like starting to like, you know, little tidbits here and there, just digestible for kids. Because like you said, like you're like, were you even thinking about that stuff? And even like you weren't thinking about that stuff. If you didn't have yeah. somebody telling you what to do, like kids, they're going to eat that stuff. They're not going to go to sleep. So I think that's a, that's a huge opportunity for kids too. It's a huge opportunity. I mean, what what percentage of our high school guys are going to go on and play college? I mean, slim to none, but all of them could benefit from starting to learn about the stuff that, that us three had to, I wasn't learn the hard way, but it was only because we were put into the profession that we really had any reason to dig in. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so yeah, it's a big talk I have. And at the parent meeting, it's a big talk I have is it's let's nail nutrition. Let's nail sleep. Let's start thinking about these kind of things because, and let's learn an appreciation for exercise, right? Because for most athletes and Katie, we can get into this in a second. Cause you made me laugh last time <laughs> uh, uh, for most athletes, the motivation is the sport. And if we don't build an appreciation for exercise, it dies. It dies when, when the sport isn't still there as kind of that carrot being dangled you know, how to get, I see you working out all the time, but Katie, you said your, right. Your experience with exercise is, is different than it was in the past, right? It's different. Yeah. I mean, I'm still like as neurotic as ever in terms of wanting to, you know, feel confident in terms of the way my muscles look in terms of how fit I feel. So I still work out, you know, at minimum five days a week. So, um, but I just don't enjoy it. Um, <laughs> so I think, you know, I think I just really struggled to find, you know, I didn't jump into doing triathlons or like, I don't have that super big goal anymore. I, I literally have no fitness goal, um, other than just be, I, I, you know, I, I do feel more sluggish if I don't work out for like, I can't imagine taking more than two days off. I haven't in, I can't remember the last time unless I got really sick. So I do think that I get benefits, obviously, from doing it, moving and heart health and all those things. I know those things, but it's just not something that I crave to do. And I don't get like, he loves to go out and do a lift. And like, you know, I just, I I wish I could say that I absolutely do because it would make it that much more enjoyable and not something that I have to do, but I look at it as a have to, not a want to. So this is most people, right? Most people don't naturally enjoy it but you're still doing it so you're someone that's openly saying i don't love it i'm not i'm not popping out of bed in the morning so it todd are you the motivator or you know i mean how does this uh, i mean i feel like it's back and yeah forth. i mean i like working out but there there are aspects i don't like working out you know and so yeah we both push each other but I, i'm definitely more willing to like like i'll do anything right like i will literally i will go to very boot camp I, I'll go to CrossFit. I would go to yoga. I would go to SoulCycle. Like, I literally don't care. And I feel like I'm, like, in it for the experience, you know, music, yeah. whatever. And I can have a good time. Katie, if there's not, like, a purpose, like, 
if we're not burning a lot of calories and it's not going to help for for fitness goals, like it's not fun. So just a completely different mindset. Yeah. Yeah. I love, but I definitely am more, way more of a, and this obviously makes sense because so many, you know, I had a coach like group fitness is, is a big thing that I like a berries or a rumble class or, you know, orange theory or, or, you know, whatever it is. I think my enjoyment is at the height when I'm in a class environment when it feels fun and I can kind of trick myself into I'm having a good time versus, so um, there's definitely been times where I think I've found, you know, moments where I'm excited, um, whether it's, you know, being able to run further or being able to get to six miles. Like there is some sense of pride with, with that, but it's way more rare these days then. Yeah. I get so frustrated with like trainers or, or coaches. I hear like, you know, everyone likes to trash group fitness and cross and all these things, but like for someone like me, it's perfect. No, but I mean, your relationship <laughs> yeah. with exercise is so much more important than the, the exercise selection or any deadlift or squat or whatever it may be. Like that that's irrelevant if the person hates it and is not having a good time. So yeah. like, you know, that environment and, and people make fun of like people like the lights, places and music and all this stuff that doesn't really matter. But like if that excites you, that's the bottom of the pyramid. Like it's the foundation. So I, I, I hate the negativity sometimes around group fitness and stuff. Like if, if somebody's moving, it's, it's only a good thing. And it actually doesn't make any sense because the human body tells us that people like being around people. So, I mean, I built a business out of semi-private group training. Private is not our focus. We have it because people like it, but that is not what I want. You know, four, four to five people in a group, at that point, I can keep quality high. Yeah. yeah. But there are cool studies on oxytocin levels. So the same hormone that makes people fall in love, people have high levels of it when they're working next to people. Todd, I've always been a believer that f- football is a little different than other team sports. And I've, I know I'm biased, but still stick with me. Yeah. It is a little different, though, because of the violence of the sport. And, yeah. there's, and there are studies now that, that show like these oxytocin levels are higher in football players because they've gotten through something different together. Yeah. Yeah, so, it brings people out. Yeah, so and we, I see it all the time where our group members tend to go at the same time because they like seeing the same face. They like being encouraged by the same person next to them. And it becomes like a, a subconscious competition that isn't really a competition, but it kind of is. Yeah. So you're right. It doesn't make any sense that people battle this because people like group. People like being social. We're meant yeah. to be social. Yeah. I think the trainers who are able to be the most successful too, like, I feel like <laughs> I always felt really bad because obviously when I was working Equinox, like, you know, the newer trainers, I always would be willing to help people out, but I was very, very transparent in terms of what my goals are. Like, I want to, you know, have really like toned arms now and I want to have like, you know, a really great butt. So that's literally, <laughs> and they would all do that, like laughing. I'm like, no, like I'm serious. Like, when I had a goal of, you know, being a great swimmer and, you know, an elite swimmer, then yes, all the things that we do in synergy and all those, yes, I'm going to go yeah. at it. But like, now this is what I'm telling you I want. And I, time after time, they'd be like, then, all right, we're going to do this <laughs> farmer's carry so that, you know, you can carry your groceries better when you're older. And I'm like, I literally don't care. <laughs> uh, I look over like there's some new trainer and they're doing like an animal flow warm up. And I'm like, oh, this is going to go. Like there's so many people where it works. And I'm like, you are not matching mirroring me at all. Like this yeah, is- you gotta give what they want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, people have to enjoy things first. It's right. That's so funny. People sit there for an hour listening and then just do whatever they were gonna do anyway. Oh so, it's like, why did we take the hour? I'm not sure why we did that. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's funny. Every like time after time, like I would purposely say, and I think also, I think it was hard because they went in prejudging me as they knew I was an Olympic athlete. So they assumed I'm like, well, if you caught me five years ago, great assumption. They also think like, oh, she's an Olympic athlete. Like we're going to do, you know, hang cleans and box jumps and, you know, like, like this elite coordination is going to exist. That's the worst coordination like, man ever. <laughs> like, you're, it's not, that's not how it is. Well, I do it in the water and I bet you you could do it all really well. It's a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not so good. <laughs> it's all different. Yeah. It's like putting a hockey player, like on a mountain. It's not the same thing. I don't know. Yeah. Not the same thing. Uh, very cool. One, you know, and this is completely off topic, but one thing I wanted to ask you the other day. So I, uh, and people can look for the story of Todd, you proposed at the Tampa Bay game, right? Katie, was it a strike? That's really what I care about. The proposal is less. Did you throw it? Did you throw a strike? <laughs> I bounced. At least it went straight. It was a strike on a bounce. Yeah, because it was straight. That's a all strike I on a bounce. I about, obviously, you see the 50 cents and the whatever. All these people do like, and so. Fauci's are terrible. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that was my biggest thing. And that's super unfair that I had to do it. I was already nervous of having to do it without someone just proposing to me. And then to have to be like, now you have to throw it was like. Well, luckily I was a catcher to like my whole up and Yeah, so that was helpful. So I, I was prepared. I, I was going to drop to my knees and, and block the pitch, you know. Ah, uh, okay. Wait, so did it happen after the proposal? Yeah. Oh, so, you know, I just assumed that you threw the pitch, you turned around and Todd was there sprinting out of right field. Proposed and then. You know, I, I went and took the glove from the mascot and then caught the pit. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. But uh, I mean, he cool. on his part knowing his, you know, his girlfriend at the time is like, I was so nervous and so obsessed with trying to make sure I had the perfect pitch that I had not, none of the warning signs were going off in my head. And I was just so locked in on the lady who was like, look at me until I tell you. And that allowed him to run through center field. And, you know, his parents were staying across the hall. And I was just still so nervous the whole entire time and he knew I would be because I wanted to yeah, be. it was a mess like so we stayed in Tampa the night before and I we like flew her parents in and my parents and they were staying literally across the hall but they could she couldn't know that they were there so I had to like text them and be like hey we're about to leave we're about to go out in the hall don't leave your room and it was quite the plan you pulled it off well you girls have no idea you have no idea the the, the months of stress that goes in and you know and I always joke about it with my wife too that for for us that's the ending point because I just planned this for months it finally happened it went well so now you start talking about next steps and I'm like no 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 I I'm yeah. done yeah like, <laughs> it's also wild like people <laughs> get engaged and they're literally like when's the date and I'm like I had engaged 36 yeah, hours like, ago I just enjoy the moment <laughs> we haven't had a conversation about that yeah yeah <laughs> I do remember waking up though to my wife on the phone already like starting some planning stuff. And I was like, well, again, I, I, I'm done. I think, I think I did my job. Yeah. You have the ring. I feel like at that point the bride takes over and it's like, you just show up. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was lucky. My wife did all the planning. So yes, I, I did very little. I right, well, guys, I don't want, I want to make sure I respect your time here. This has been awesome. Uh, where, where can people find you? I know uh, where can people find the book once it's out? Yeah, so for me, um, I'm really big into Instagram. So um, KTHoff7 is my Instagram. Um, and then our website, for, we have a Synergy Dryland. At Synergy Dryland is our Instagram. So we like to put a lot of just exercises and information. We have our website on that Instagram as well. And then the book will be on my website uh, as well as on Amazon. Uh, it's KTHoff.com. Okay. 
And my Instagram is Todd Anderson 42 underscore. That's pretty much what I'm on the most. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, both are, both are fun sites to watch and I'll uh, make sure I keep people posted on, on the book when it comes out and spread the word about synergy as well. Cause I know some swimmers that, that need some work. So I'll be sending them your way. Awesome. Thank you so much for having us. This yeah, has been thanks, so guys. fun. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Stick around for a second and uh, everyone, thanks for listening and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the lifestyle as medicine podcast. Find more episodes like this at www.lifestyleasmedicinepodcast.com and visit www.marhealthandperformance.com and at marhealthandperformance on both Facebook and Instagram for more great content and information about programs. Have a great day and see you next time.